1: I are to be alive to you and dead to me. Oh what can be done for an old heart like mine soften it up
0: with oil and wine. when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be given a heart overflowing with love, with joy. You will be made alive. I need that. I need that Holy Spirit baptism. All week I've been talking with you about the Gospel of John, chapters 13, 14, and 15. I thought today as I was praying, I need to go a step further this week. I need to share with you a story of the coming of the Holy Spirit. What I'm talking about with the coming and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not new. Many great men and women of the past have sought this baptism. Humble servants of God have sought this baptism and they have received it, even as Peter and James and John did. I want to share a story with you today. I've shared it many times in the past, but today listen with new ears if you have heard it before. It is the story of a young man who was studying for the law, Charles Finney. He was a man who was given a message by the Holy Spirit that literally burned through the religious deadwood and secular darkness of his day. This was back in the 1800s. It is estimated that this man, swept by the power of the Holy Spirit, more than 250,000 pagans into the kingdom of God, has probably won more people to Jesus than anyone other than the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Literally, this man was used by the Holy Spirit to win the lost to Jesus, to transform their lives and cause them to live righteous and holy, sold out before Almighty God. I want to share the story of how the Holy Spirit came upon him. It was a Sunday night in the autumn of 1821. He made up his mind that he would settle the question of his soul's salvation, and if it were possible, he wanted to make his peace with God. In his own words, I was very proud without knowing it. I had supposed that I did not care much about others' opinions of me. I had, in fact, been quite obvious in attending prayer meetings and paying attention to religion while in Adams. In this respect, I had led the church at times to think that I must be an anxious inquirer. But when I had to face the question, I found that I was very unwilling to have anyone know that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. When I prayed, I would only whisper my prayer. After having plugged the keyhole in the door, lest someone should discover that I was engaged in prayer. Before that time, my Bible lay on the table with the rest of my law books. It had never occurred to me to be ashamed of being found reading it, any more than I should be ashamed of being found reading any of my other law books but after I had addressed myself in earnestness to the subject of my own salvation, I kept my Bible out of sight as much as I could. If I was reading it when anyone came in, I would throw my law books on top of it to create the impression that I had not had it in my hands. Instead of being outspoken and willing to talk with anyone and everyone on the subject as before, I found myself unwilling to converse with anybody. I did not want to see my minister because I did not want to let him know how I felt, and I had no confidence that he would understand my case and give me the direction I needed. For the same reasons, I avoided conversations with the elders of the church or with any of these Christian people. I was ashamed to let them know how I felt. And on one hand... I was afraid they would misdirect me. I felt myself left only to the Bible. During Monday and Tuesday, my convictions increased, but still it seemed as if my heart grew harder. I could not shed a tear. I could not pray. I had no opportunity to pray above a whisper, and frequently I felt that I would find relief in prayer if I could be alone where I could use my voice and express myself. I was shy and avoided speaking to anybody on any subject as much as I could, and I made certain not to arouse any suspicions that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. Tuesday night I became very nervous, and in the night a strange feeling came over me as if I were about to die. I knew that if I did die, would sink down to hell, but I quieted myself as best I could until morning. At an early hour on Wednesday, I started for the office, but just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me, as if an inward voice said to me, What are you waiting for? Did you not promise to give your heart to God? What are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out a righteousness of your own? At this point, the whole question of gospel salvation was open to me in a marvelous manner. I think I then saw as clearly as I ever have in my life the reality and fullness of the atonement of Christ. I saw that His work is a finished work, and that instead of needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I had to submit myself to the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Gospel salvation seemed to be an offer to be accepted, something that was full and complete. And all that was necessary on my part was to agree to give up my sins and accept Jesus Christ instead of being a thing to be brought about by my own works. Salvation was a thing to be found entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ who presented himself before me as God and as my Savior. I'm sharing with you the story of the conversion and then the infilling with the Holy Spirit of this amazing man, Charles Finney, who back in the 1800s made a decision that he would seek his salvation Seek to make peace with God. Before I go on, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. We are, for last month, still $1,000 short of having enough to cover the radio bill. Now, I don't know what has come in this month or this week because I've not been able to get to the to the post office. I did not have transportation. So I'm asking, please, would you step forward at the invitation of the Holy Spirit? And would you give hilariously for the work of the gospel that this broadcast could continue? It's a faith ministry. I don't have the ability to pay that $1,000, but I know if we work together I know some of you can give five or ten or fifteen dollars. I know others of you can give five hundred or a thousand or two thousand or three thousand that we would not every month have to struggle with this so would you would you be willing to write a check today for Pilgrim's Progress Radio? You can make the check out to national prayer chapel post office box twenty three forty six Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And David, thank you for the gift you sent in on October 2 uh, via the PayPal. David went to NationalPrayerChapel.com and made that offering to Jesus. Thank you for being faithful to Jesus. I'm looking for many more of you to do this. We need to get this covered. God bless you you as you give. Now let's go back to the story. Mr. Finney says, without being distinctly aware of it, I had stopped in the street right where the inward voice had first come upon me. How long I remained in that position I cannot say, but after I contemplated this distinct revelation, the inner voice seemed to ask, Will you accept it now, today? I replied, Yes, I will accept it today, or I will die in the attempt. "'North of the village and over a hill lay a stretch of woods "'in which I walked almost daily when the weather was pleasant. "'It was now the 10th of October, "'and the time was past for my frequent walks there. "'Nevertheless, instead of going to the office, "'I turned and bent my course toward the woods, "'feeling that I must be alone and away from all human ears and eyes.' so that I could pour out my prayer to God. But still my pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Yet there was probably not a person on earth who would have ever suspected such a thing. But so great was my pride, and so much was I possessed with the fear of man, "'that I sulked along the fence "'until I got so far out of sight "'that no one from the village could see me. "'I then made my way into the woods "'nearly a quarter of a mile. "'I went over on the other side of the hill, "'and I found a place "'where some large trees had fallen across each other, "'leaving an open place between. "'There I saw I could make a kind of closet.' I crept into this place and knelt down for prayer. As I turned to go up into the woods, I recollect having said, I will give my heart to God, or I will never come down from here. I recall repeating this as I went up, I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again but when i got there and i attempted to pray i found that my heart would not it would not pray i supposed that if i if i could only be where i could speak aloud without being overheard i would pray freely but when i tried it was mute my voice would not work i had nothing to say to god or at least i could say only a few words and those without my heart In attempting to pray, I would hear a rustling in the leaves and would stop and look up to see if somebody was coming, if someone had followed me. I did this several times. Finally, I found myself sinking fast to despair. I said to myself, I cannot pray. My heart is dead to God, and it will not pray. I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God "'before I left the woods. "'When I tried, I found I could not give my heart to God. "'My soul hung back, "'and my heart was in no way going out to God. "'I began to feel deeply that it was too late, "'that I was past hope, "'that God must have given up on me. "'I then began to think my promise rash "'that I would give my heart to God that day "'or die in the attempt.' It seemed to me as if that was binding upon my soul and yet I was going to break my vow. A great discouragement came over me and I felt almost too weak to get up to get up from my knees. Just at that moment I again thought I heard someone approach me. I opened my eyes to see whether it was so. But just then it was distinctly shown to me that my pride was the great difficulty that stood in the way. An overwhelming sense of my wickedness in being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God took such powerful possession of me that I cried out at the top of my voice and exclaimed that I would not leave that place if all the men on earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What? I said such a degraded sinner as I am? On my knees confessing my sins to the great and holy God? How can I be ashamed to have any human being, a sinner like myself, find me on my knees endeavoring to make my peace with my offended God? The sin appeared awful. It broke me down before the Lord. Just at that point, This passage of Scripture seemed to drop into my mind with a flood of light. Then you will pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 Somehow I knew that this was a passage of Scripture, though I do not think I would ever read it. I knew that it was God's word and God's voice that spoke to me. I instantly seized hold of this with my heart. I had intellectually believed the Bible before, but never had I known that faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual state. I was conscious of trusting at that moment in God's veracity. I cried to him, Lord, I take you at your word. You know that I am searching for you with all my heart and that I have come here to pray to you and you have promised to hear me. I want to stop a moment and just say salvation is a a gift of God. It's a miracle. Part of the lesson he's been teaching me over these last months is that somehow he chooses to move outside of me to bring about what is necessary for my life. Salvation being one of those things. He came and moved in Mr. Finney's heart to seek him. He's moving right now in some of your hearts to seek him. But pride rises up also in your heart, and you say, I'm not going to seek this salvation Others are you of you are proud, and you're saying, I'm not going to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, I don't need God to come and give me help. I need God to come and take over and make my life entirely his. Now, I have said that it is his. I have offered him my life. And I know that he has said, Yes, I have taken your life, and it belongs to me. Your sins are all forgiven. Now I wait not for help. I wait for the infilling of the Holy Spirit in power and purity. What I'm doing on this radio broadcast is very vulnerable. You know how we are. We like to talk about how we've arrived. I have not arrived yet. The great work of the gospel in this city is yet undone by pastors and by people sitting in the pews. This church, God wants to use for the glorious work of his kingdom. He wants you. Will you seek him with all of your heart? Now Finney goes on. seemed to confirm that i could indeed fulfill my vow that very day the spirit seemed to emphasize the idea in the words when you search for me with all of your heart i told the lord that i would take him at his word that i knew he could not lie and that i was therefore sure he heard my prayer and that i would find him he then gave me many other promises from both the Old and the New Testaments, especially some regarding our Lord Jesus Christ. I never can in words make any human being understand how precious and true those promises appeared to me. I took them one after another as infallible truth, the assertions of God who cannot lie, Titus 1 verse 2. They did not seem to fall into my intellect so much as into my heart. To be put within the grasp of the voluntary powers of my mind. I took hold of them and fastened upon them with the grasp of a drowning man. I continued to pray in this way and to receive and take hold of promises for a long time. I do not know how long. I prayed until my mind became so full that before I was aware of it, I was on my feet and tripping up the hill toward the road. I did not really think about whether I had been converted, but as I went up, brushing through the leaves and bushes, I recollect saying with great emphasis, if I am ever converted, I will preach the gospel. I soon reached the road that led to the village and I began to reflect on what had passed. I found that my mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. I said to myself, What is this? I must have grieved the Holy Spirit entirely away. I've lost all of my conviction. I don't have a particle of concern about my soul, and it must be that the Spirit has left me. Indeed, I never was so far from being concerned about my salvation in my life. And then I remembered what I had said to God while I was on my knees, that I would take him at his word. And so I recalled many things I had said, and I concluded that it was no wonder the Spirit had left me. I imagined that for such a sinner as I was to take hold of God's word in that way was presumption, if not blasphemy. I concluded that in my excitement I had grieved the Holy Spirit and perhaps committed the unpardonable sin. I walked quietly toward the village, and so perfectly quiet was my mind that it seemed as if all nature listened. I'd gone into the woods immediately after an early breakfast, and when I returned to the village, I found it was already lunchtime, and yet I'd been wholly unaware of the time that had passed. It appeared to me that I had been gone only a short time from the village. But how was I to account for the quiet of my mind? I tried to recall my convictions to get back again the load of sin under which I had been laboring. But all sense of sin, all consciousness of present sin or guilt had departed from me. I said to myself, What is this, that I cannot arouse any sense of guilt in my soul, as great a sinner as I am? I tried in vain to make myself anxious about my present state. I was so quiet and peaceful that I tried to feel concerned about it, lest it should be a result of my having grieved the spirit away, but no matter what view I took of it, I could not be anxious at all about my soul and my spiritual state. The repose of my mind was unspeakably great. I never can describe it in words. The thought of God was sweet in my mind, and the most profound spiritual tranquility had taken full possession of me. This was a great mystery. I went to lunch and found I had no appetite to eat. I then went to the office and found square Wright or attorney Wright had gone to lunch. I took down my brass viol and, as I was accustomed to do, began to play and sing some pieces of sacred music. But as soon as I began to sing those sacred words, I began to weep. It seemed as if my heart was all liquid and my feelings were in such a state that I could not hear my own voice in singing without causing my tears to overflow. I wondered at this and tried to hold back my tears, but could not. After trying in vain to suppress my tears, I put away my instrument and I stopped singing. After lunch, Attorney Wright and I were engaged in moving our books and furniture to another office. We were very busy in this and had little conversation all afternoon. My mind, however, remained in that profoundly tranquil state. There was a great sweetness and tenderness in my thoughts and feelings. Everything appeared to be going right. Nothing seemed to ruffle or disturb me in the least. Just before evening, I decided that as soon as I was left alone in the new office, I would try to pray again, that I was not going to abandon the subject of religion and give it up at any rate. Therefore, although I no longer had any concern about my soul, I still wanted to continue praying. By evening we got the books and furniture all adjusted. I made a good fire in the fireplace, hoping to spend that evening alone. And just at dark, Attorney Wright, seeing that everything was adjusted, bade me good night and went home. I accompanied him to the door. And as I closed the door and turned around, my heart seemed to be liquid within me. All my feelings seemed to rise and flow out, and the utterance of my heart was, I want to pour my whole soul out to God. The rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room behind the front office to pray. There was no fire and no light in that room. Nevertheless, it appeared perfectly lit to me. As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It seemed to me that I saw him as I would see any other man. He said nothing but looked at me in such a manner as to break me down right at his feet. I've ever since regarded this as the most remarkable state of mind. For it seemed to me that he stood before me, I fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I wept aloud like a child and made such confessions as I could with my choked utterances. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet with my tears, but cannot recall that I had any distinct impression that I touched him. I must have continued in this state for a good while, but my mind was too much absorbed with the interview to recall anything that I said. Yet I know, as soon as my mind became calm enough to break off from the interview, I returned to the front office and found that the fire I had made was nearly burned out. But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without any expectation of it, without ever having thought that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world. The Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through my body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love. I cannot express in any other way. It seemed like... It was the very breath of God. I can recall distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was poured out. Romans five five. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally cried out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I cried out, I will die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, and yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism, continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. "'but I know it was late in the evening "'when a member of my choir, "'for I was the leader of the choir, "'came into the office to see me. "'He found me in this state of loud weeping, "'and he said to me, "'Mr. Finney, what's wrong?' "'I could not answer him for some time. "'And then he said, "'Are you in pain?' "'I gathered myself up as best I could "'and replied, "'No, but I'm so happy that I cannot live.' he turned and left the office. In a few minutes, he returned with one of the elders of the church, whose shop was just across the way from our office. This elder was a very serious man. I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. In my presence, he'd always been very watchful. When he came in, I was still in a state of loud weeping. The elder asked me how I felt, and I began to tell him, Instead of saying anything, he fell into joyous laughter. It seemed as if it were impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. As I was giving this account of my feelings to the elder, a young man came into the office. I was sitting with my back toward the door and barely noticed that he came in. He listened with astonishment to what I was saying. And the first I knew, he partly fell upon the floor and cried out in the greatest agony of mind, Pray for me! Pray for me! The elder of the church and the other member knelt down and began to pray for him. And when they had prayed, I prayed for him myself. Soon after this, they all left me alone. And I wondered, why did the elder laugh so? "'Did he think that I was deluded or crazy? "'This thought brought a kind of darkness over my mind, "'and I began to ask myself whether it was proper for me, "'such a sinner as I had been, to pray for that young man. "'A cloud seemed to come over me. "'I felt I could not rest in anything. "'After a little while I retired to bed. "'Not distressed in mind, but still at a loss.' to make of my present state. Notwithstanding the baptism I had received, my view was so obscured that I went to bed without feeling sure that my peace was made with God. I soon fell asleep. But almost as soon, I was awake again on account of the great flow of the love of God that was in my heart. I was so filled with love that I could not sleep. I fell asleep again, and I awoke in the same manner. When I awoke, this temptation toward unbelief returned upon me, and the love that seemed to be in my heart abated. But as soon as I was asleep, it was so warm within me that I would immediately awake, and thus I continued until late at night, until I obtained some sound sleep. When I awoke in the morning, the sun had risen and was pouring a clear light into my room. Words cannot express the impression that that sunlight made upon me. Instantly, the baptism that I had received the night before returned upon me in the same manner. I rose to my knees in the bed, and I wept aloud with joy, remaining for some time too much overwhelmed with the baptism of the Spirit to do anything but pour out my soul to God. It seemed as if this morning's baptism was accompanied by a gentle reproof. And the Spirit seemed to say to me, Will you doubt? Will you doubt? I cried, No, I will not doubt! I cannot doubt! He then cleared the subject up so much that it was in fact impossible for me to doubt that the Spirit of God had taken possession of my soul. In this state, I was taught that justification by faith is a present experience. I'd never distinctly viewed this as a fundamental doctrine of the gospel. Indeed, I did not know at all what it meant in the proper sense, but I could now see and understand what was meant by the passage, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 1. I could see that from the moment I believed, while up in the woods, all sense of condemnation had entirely dropped out of my mind, and I could not feel a sense of guilt or condemnation by any effort that I could make. My sins were gone. My sense of guilt was gone, as if I had never sinned. Stop a moment. That is how I live. I have that same clear sense. But now I wait for that baptism. I wait for the baptism. Continuing, this was just the revelation I needed. As far as I could see, I was in a state in which I did not sin. Instead of feeling that I was sinning all the time, my heart was so full of love that it overflowed. My cup ran over with blessings and with love, and I could not feel that I was sinning against God, nor could I recover the least sense of guilt past sins. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sharing with you the story of the conversion of this wonderful man, Charles Finney, back in the 1800s. I continue. On that same morning I went to the office, and there I was experiencing the renewal of those mighty waves of love and salvation flowing over me, and when Attorney Wright came into the office, I said a few words to him on the subject of his salvation. He looked at me with astonishment, but made no reply whatsoever. He dropped his head and, after standing a few minutes, left the office. I thought no more of it then, but afterward I found that the remark I had made had pierced him like a sword, and he did not recover from it until he was utterly converted. Soon after the attorney had left the office, a deacon came into the office, and he said to me, Mr. Finney, do you recall that my case is to be tried at ten o'clock this morning? I suppose you are ready." I had been retained to act as his attorney. I replied to him, Deacon, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause, and I cannot plead yours. He looked at me with astonishment and said, What do you mean? I told him in a few words that I had enlisted in the cause of Christ and that he must go and get someone else to attend his lawsuit. I could not do it. He dropped his head, and he went out without making any reply. A few moments later, in passing the window, I observed that the deacon was standing in the middle of the road, seemingly lost in deep meditation. He went away finally, as I afterward learned, and immediately settled his lawsuit. He then committed himself to prayer and soon got into a much higher state of the Christian life. I soon set out from the office to converse with all the people I could find about their souls. I had the impression, which was never going to leave my mind, that God wanted me to preach the gospel, and I must begin immediately. I somehow seemed to know it with a certainty that was past all possibility or doubt, just as I knew that I had received the love of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I was first convicted, the thought had occurred to me that if I was ever convicted and converted, I would have to leave my profession, of which I was very fond, and I would have to begin preaching the gospel. This at first was an obstacle to me. I thought I'd spent too much time and study in my profession to think now of becoming a Christian if by doing so I would be obligated to preach the gospel. However, I at last came to the conclusion that I must submit to God and that I had never commenced the study of law out of my regard to God and that I had no right to place any conditions upon Him. I had laid aside the thought of becoming a minister until the thought came to me as I have related on my way from my place of prayer in the woods. But now... After receiving the baptism of the Spirit, I was quite willing to preach the gospel. Indeed, I found that I was unwilling to do anything else. I no longer had any desire to practice law. Everything in that direction no longer had any attraction for me at all. I had no desire to make money. I had no hungering and thirsting after worldly pleasures or amusements. My whole mind was taken up with Jesus and with his salvation and the worldly concerns seemed of no consequence to me. Nothing, it seemed to me, could be put in competition with the worth of a man's soul. And I thought no labor could be so sweet and no employment so exalted as that of holding up Christ to a dying world. With this impression, I went forth to converse with anyone I might meet. I first stopped in the shop of a shoemaker, who was a pious man, in my estimation, one of the most praying Christians in the church. I found him in conversation with the son of one of the elders of this church. This young man was defending universalism. The shoemaker turned to me and said, Mr. Finney, what do you think of the argument of this young man? This young man then stated that he had been saying in defense of universalism, I was so ready with an answer that in a moment I was able to blow his argument to the wind. The young man saw at once that his argument was gone, and he rose up without making any reply and went out. But soon I observed, as I stood in the middle of the room, that the young man, instead of going along the street, had passed around the shop, had climbed over the fence and was heading straight across the fields toward the woods, I thought no more of it until the evening, when the young man came out and appeared to be a bright convert, telling of his experience. He had gone into the woods, and there, so he said, had given his heart to the Lord. I spoke with many people that day, and I believe the Spirit of God made lasting impressions on every one of them. I cannot remember one whom I spoke with, who was not soon after converted. In the afternoon I called at the house of a friend where a young man lived who was employed in distilling whiskey. The family had heard that I had become a Christian, and as they were about to sit down to tea they urged me to sit down and have tea with them. The man of his house and his wife were both people of faith, but the wife's sister who was present was unconverted. The young man who distilled whiskey— a distant relative of a family was rather outspoken and talkative as a universalist, a young man with a good deal of energy. I sat down with them to share tea, and they requested me to ask a blessing. Though I had never before asked a blessing, I did not hesitate a moment, but commenced to ask the blessing of God as we sat around the table. I had hardly begun before the state of these young people rose before my mind and excited so much compassion that I burst into weeping and was unable to proceed. Everyone around the table sat speechless for a short time while I continued to weep. Suddenly the young man moved back from the table and rushed out of the room. He fled to his room. He locked himself in and was not seen again until the next morning when he came out "'expressing a blessed hope in Jesus. "'He has been for many years an able minister of the gospel. "'In the course of the day, "'my conversations had created a good deal of astonishment in the village. "'In the evening, without any appointed time having been set that I could learn, "'I observed that people were going to the place "'where they usually held their prayer meetings.' I afterward learned that some time before this some members of the church had proposed to make me a subject of prayer. I also learned that Pastor Gale had discouraged them, saying that he did not believe I would ever be converted because I was very much enlightened upon the subject of religion, but very much hardened against it. Furthermore, he said he was almost discouraged that although I led the choir and taught the young people sacred music, they were so much under my influence that they would probably not be converted while I remained in Athens, or Adams. After I was converted, I found that some of the wicked people in town had hidden behind me, one man in particular. He had a pious wife who had repeatedly, he had said to her, if religion is true, why don't you convert Finney? If you Christians can convert Finney, I will believe in religion when an old lawyer by the name mr m living in adams heard that i'd been converted he said that it was all a hoax that i was simply trying to see what i could make christian people believe however with one consent the people seemed to rush to the place of worship i went there myself the minister was there along with nearly all the principal people in the village no one seemed ready to open the meeting but the house was packed to its utmost capacity. I did not wait for anybody, but arose and began saying that I then knew that religion was from God. I went on and told such parts of my experience as it seemed important to me to tell. This man who had promised his wife that if I was converted he would believe in religion was present. The old lawyer was also present. What the Lord enabled me to say seemed to make a wonderful hold upon these people. One man got up, pressed through the crowd, and went home, leaving his hat. The attorney also left and went home, saying I was crazy. As soon as I'd finished speaking, the pastor rose and made a confession. He confessed that he had discouraged the church when they had proposed to pray for me. He said also that when he heard that day that I was converted, he had promptly said he did not believe it. He said he had no faith. He spoke in a very humble manner. I'd never before prayed in public, but soon after Mr. Gale was through speaking, he called on me to pray again. We had a wonderful meeting that evening, and from that day we had a prayer meeting every evening for a long time. And the work spread out on every side. I could read you much more. But that was the beginning of. The ministry of. Charles Finney. What an amazing conversion to Jesus. I pray that as you listened today. Your heart was warmed. If you need to make your peace with God. If you're dry eyes and cold heart. You need to get to Jesus. You need to find him. If you're weighted down with a sense of guilt, if you have given yourself to every folly, every foolishness, spending your time in the entertainments of this world, in the pursuit of the riches of this world, You need to make change. Jesus is coming again, and we're going to face the judge. If you come to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes in baptism upon you, you will have an overflowing heart filled with love, with peace, with joy, with life. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's only joy and peace and life. It's not easy. It means giving up for life and receiving instead the life of Jesus. It means totally repudiating, renouncing all of those things of darkness. It means going before the Lord and being honest about your heart condition. And asking him to forgive you. And giving yourself to him. He will meet you. He will call you out of the darkness into his light. Now let me speak to those. Who love Jesus with all hearts. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is there for you if you desire the fullness of God in your life. You must read these passages of Scripture, John 13, 14, 15, 16. You must read the account in Acts of Pentecost. You must read the whole book of Acts and begin to understand that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you to. If you have not received that baptism, there is no condemnation for you. It's simply knowing that he has another wonderful gift to give you. Are you willing to be given the gift of the Holy Spirit and empowered that your words will have effect, like Mr. Finney's words had? and people will receive Jesus. Are you willing to be used by the Lord for the work of the gospel? Then you must be equipped with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God bless you as you seek the face of Jesus. Well, again, this is Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I've shared with you the story of the conversion and baptism of Charles Finney. And now we need to talk about the practical aspect. We are still $1,000 short of having what we need to cover the September radio bill. As the Holy Spirit prompts you, are you willing to help with this great work of the gospel of Jesus? If you are, would you write to me? Would you send a check? The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. It'll be the weekend before I'm able to go to the post office box. I'm hoping there to find a box full of letters. I trust Jesus. He knows what he's doing. He's carried me every month, year after year. He will again this month. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online or write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I haven't heard from some of you for quite a while. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.